Welcome to a special Sweet 16 edition of March Madness 365 here on NCAA.com and Turner Sports. I'm Andy Katz. Well, it was a absolutely crazy first weekend of the NCAA tournament, something I don't think anyone could have predicted. I mean, just take a look at the bracket, which, of course, I don't want to even look at mine right now, but I'm going to just start from the south all the way back down. Virginia, first time ever a number one seed, let alone number one overall seed, loses to a 16 Unbelievable, epic event, UMBC. They were the darlings of the first weekend. Continuing down, Arizona, all their problems this season, and they don't beat Buffalo. They get drilled by the Bulls out in Boise. Last second shot by Loyola Chicago over Miami. And we learn about Sister Jean and the Ramblers. First time in the tournament since 19, excuse me, in 33 years. They're back in the dance. And they're making news. Comeback win over Texas for Nevada. Historic there because what happens the next round is Nevada comes back from double digits, 20 plus down, to knock off Cincinnati with a 32 to 8 run to close out the game, essentially. Unbelievable comeback for the Wolfpack and Eric Musselman. And you will hear from Eric Musselman on this podcast coming up. Loyola Chicago, buzzer beater to beat Tennessee. They get into the Sweet 16, and they will take on Nevada in Atlanta. Buffalo didn't have enough to beat Kentucky. They end up losing, so their run stops. Kentucky, which suddenly is playing the best basketball of the season for the Wildcats, they win the SEC tournament. They're in the Sweet 16. UMBC's run ends to K-State which is suddenly in the Sweet 16. And you'll hear from their head coach the, of K-State, Bruce Weber. He'll be joining us on the podcast. Continuing down to the West, Xavier loses in the second round of Florida State. The Seminoles are now in the Sweet 16, and Xavier, the number one seed in the West, is not. Gonzaga has to come back to beat UNC Greensboro, had a lead against Ohio State, loses the lead, and then beats the Buckeyes late. Michigan-Houston unbelievable finish. If you thought what happened with Nevada and Loyola was unbelievable, well, you had to have seen what happened with Michigan where Jordan Poole hits a buzzer beater to beat Houston. I mean, that was just, that was a shot for the ages. That's like the Bryce Drew shot. That's like the NC State, Lorenzo Charles put back. It was that kind of moment for Michigan to knock off Houston because it looked like they were dead, done, gone. By the way, unbelievable pass by Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman, who most players would have taken the shot, but he passes it up to Jordan Poole, and he makes the game winner uh, to beat Houston. They will take on Texas A&M, and A&M head coach Billy Kennedy will join us after they blitzed North Carolina. Another upset. On the other side, a little bit of chalk until you look at that Marshall just absolutely shocked Wichita State behind John Elmore. Now Marshall lost to West Virginia, so that's sort of held there with a Villanova-West Virginia matchup. Further down, you know, the Bonnies had upset, um, if you could call it an upset, beating UCLA. Not enough to take out Florida. And that sort of is hold with Texas Tech taking on Purdue, although Isaac Haas is no longer playing for Purdue because of his fractured elbow. So that changes the Boilermakers dramatically, but they were able to beat Butler without Isaac Haas. And then in the Midwest, uh, you could argue a little bit of chalk at the top uh, as Clemson knocked off a depleted Auburn, actually obliterated them. So you got Kansas Clemson. And at the bottom, you've got Duke, who knocked off Rhode Island, which beat Oklahoma. But then, who is Duke playing? Well, they're playing Syracuse. The Orange, well, they don't like to be called the Cinderella. I was with them in Detroit. But they did knock off Arizona State. Then they beat TCU. Then they absolutely just throttled Michigan State's offense in a gritty grinder of a game uh, that they ended up winning by a bucket. 
but in large part because Michigan State couldn't score. They looked like they'd never seen a zone before. And so Syracuse, the unlikely orange, are into the Sweet 16. So before we get to our guests, I want to look at my rankings here, and I want to qualify this, okay? And this is on NCAA.com, so you can see this. I did this based on how a team is playing and who they beat. And so I'm going to run through these real quickly for you and tell you that right now, I think Villanova is playing the best basketball of any team left in the field. Then I would go with Duke. Then Texas A&M. The Aggies, in the first part of the season, they looked like a top 10 team. Then they didn't. Now they do. Crushing Carolina. Then I went with Kansas, Clemson, who was not who I wasn't high on, especially when they lost Dante Grantham. But uh, the way they beat back a very good New Mexico State team and then just crushed Auburn, I put them in the top five. And then Kentucky. Uh, the Wildcats did naturally struggle with Davidson, which is understandable at times. And then I go with Gonzaga because of who they beat in Ohio State. Texas Tech, West Virginia, as well as West Virginia played against Marshall and they dominated them. I'm pushing them a little further down because of who they beat. Now, I got some pushback from Florida State fans and maybe I should have put them higher because they did knock off uh, Xavier, which is significant. So I probably should have put them higher in hindsight. But their win over Missouri, Missouri was not playing well. And so I just didn't give them as much credit for that. And that's why I pushed them down. Purdue, without Isaac Haas, struggled to beat Butler. Still, I think they could get to the Final Four. Michigan was dead and buried against Houston, even though I picked Michigan to go to the Final Four. Syracuse uh, knocked off Michigan State, beat TCU. Maybe I could have put them higher, but the games are just so awful in terms of their entertainment value. But their defense was great. Their offense was not. Nevada had to come back. They were dead and buried, so I put them a little further down. Loyola. They are in the 15 spot in large part because they had to go with last-second shots to win their games. But I could have put them higher, too. There's no question about it. So this is all debatable. That's what I like about it. And K-State, I think they're much better than number 16 on this list. But that was based on them not having to play Virginia, beating a Creighton team that was heading in the wrong direction, and then UMBC. So you really could toss these up. That's what they're there for, to debate them. So that's me sort of setting the table for the rest of the podcast. I think you'll enjoy these interviews as we get you ready for the Sweet 16. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Nevada head coach Eric Musselman. As the Wolfpack, champions of the Mountain West, are now into the Sweet 16. They will play another Cinderella, Loyola Chicago, in Atlanta on Thursday night. Eric it's remarkable. I mean, the comeback against Cincinnati, 32-8 to eight run. How do you explain it? <laughs> it's kind of unexplainable, Andy. First, thanks so much for having me on. But we, uh, you know, we, we got behind against Texas, and, and Coach Smart and the Longhorns did a great job of controlling the tempo in the first game of the tournament. And, and then we kind of got the game uh, at our speed the last 12 minutes of the game. And we talked over and over between the – end of the Texas game and leading up to the Cincinnati game, how we had to play at a faster pace. We had to get off to a better start. And then we go out, we just get absolutely thumped in the first half. And Cincinnati imposed its will. They were tougher than us. They rebounded the ball better than us. Uh, They shot the heck out of the basketball. And at halftime, we changed up our pick and roll defense. And then with about 11 minutes to go, we're at that 258 timeout. 10.58 left in the game. I think we were down 22, and we made a decision uh, to implement some of our trapping defenses, and and that sped the game up. We started knocking down shots, and 
uh, every time out, Andy, what we kept doing was just trying to come up with some type of mini goals, cut this thing from 22 to 16, cut it from 16 to 12, and then eventually get it into double digits and see what happens. And we were fortunate that our defense tightened up as well down the stretch. It feels like you guys have been playing sort of this game seven mentality over the last like three weeks. You know, I mean, you had that loss to San Diego State in the regular season. Then you got just drilled, which was sort of unexplainable in the conference tournament. How much are you guys sort of playing on that margin right now that that at the right time it's you're on the right side of it? But how much has that been a sort of sort of an unfortunate theme over the last three weeks? Well, you know, I, what happened with our with our program is, you know, Lindsey Drew is a three-year starter for us at the point guard, and he went down at halftime of the Boise State game in Boise, which was a huge game. It was virtually going to decide who was going to win the regular season championship in the Mountain West. And Lindsey goes down, and we already we have four scholarship players right now sitting out as transfers. So you take those four guys who are sitting out, not in uniform, and then you add in Lindsey Drew. Uh, his injury and then we released a player earlier in the year uh, so we actually are down six scholarship players um, so we already have a depleted bench to begin with then you add in the injury and then our point guard we slide Cody Martin from the power forward position to our point guard position and um, so we're still kind of evolving we're not a team that uh, is used to where everybody's playing even our out-of-bounds plays at times. We have to redraw things in timeouts to get guys in the right spots because everybody's playing a different position than they played uh, four weeks ago. But having said that, um, really our only two losses are to San Diego State. One game was a close game. With 50 seconds, it was tied at San Diego State. Uh, And then we hadn't had a double-digit loss all year. Uh, One of only four teams that hadn't had a double loss. And bang, we go to the tournament and just get absolutely annihilated by a hot Aztec team um, and then we had to regroup and and um, you know so we're we, we go through stretches where we don't play well and we go through stretches uh, even at the very very beginning of the year where we can go on these 16 to 0 scoring spurts and and uh, and when we do that we're really tough to beat obviously so you come from a basketball family your late great father you know he coached at all levels You've seen it at all levels, from the old CBA days and you know the Albany uh, Patroons to the NBA. Uh, but you were saying, you know, you're so just absolutely just sheer joy the other day and saying this is the best ever. I mean, how do you compare what you just experienced to what you witnessed as a child growing up and seeing your dad at, at all the different levels of basketball? It's so interesting, Andy. Just you know because. Um... You know, I was so young when my dad was coaching at Ashland College and then at the University of Minnesota. And so most of the years that I, you know, have a great memory, he was he was a coaching in the ABA for the San Diego Sales of Virginia Squires. And and then obviously when I was in high school, he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So the, the pro game was so prevalent. And then when he went to South Alabama and got them in the tournament, I you know, for me, watching him take uh, the, you know, South Alabama team to the to the NCAAs in year two and playing Arizona to such a close game the year that Arizona won it all. That to me was like, I had more fun watching my dad coach that than any NBA game. And our, our careers have kind of mirrored each other. And so it's been really unique. And I know for me, 
this little run that we've had right now in the NCAA tournament. These two wins have been the two best wins that I've ever been a part of. They're better than any NBA playoff game that I was a part of as an assistant coach and certainly better than any NBA game uh, that I was a part of as a head coach and just the joy of the student athletes. And, you know, you you got a student body that's behind you and boosters and alumni, and there's no feeling like it. This tournament's the greatest sporting event in the world, in my opinion. Why have you stayed? I mean, you've had opportunities to go. What is it about Nevada? You know, I I really, really like the athletic director that I'm working for, um, Doug Newth. I love our basketball AD, Rory Hickok. And so for me, uh, my bosses are great. I I love the area that I live in. Um, Our our school is a perfect size of 22,000 students. Um, I like all the coaches in our in our building. I love the the the, the baseball coach T.J. Bruce and I are really good friends. And and then geographically, Andy, it makes sense because you know I have a son who's playing high school basketball, and he lives in the Bay Area, so it's a three-hour drive over to watch him. And uh, and then we're building. You know, we felt like, you know, how could we win right away, but yet have sustainability. And we think like next year should be the best and most talented team that we've had. And that's how it should be as next year will be our fourth year at Nevada. All right. So let's spin forward. Loyola, uh, they defend. I'm sure you know Porter Moser well. Uh, They've hit some timely big shots. You can't think about the other side of the bracket (laughs) because every game, as we've seen at the, you know, this whole tournament, everyone's on a fine line. Uh, So how do you deal with uh, the other Cinderella, if you will, the one that certainly can defend at a high clip in Loyola? Well, yeah, we haven't watched much film. We're going to dive on them, dive into them tonight. Obviously, it's incredible. What an awesome story um, Loyola is. And and, uh, we know they're really, real well coached. We've already talked to some teams that have played them. Uh, we know that they pass the ball really, really well. We know they got a defensive player of the year from their conference, and they're really good defensively. And they have a big guy inside who's got great hands and can play off the elbow areas. And um, we certainly are only focused on one thing. We know that this game is going to be a great game from a spectator standpoint. And um, both teams are feeling good about themselves. Both teams have great confidence that they can – uh, go into a game and advance, and and both teams have beaten really good teams. I mean, we feel like Texas is really good, and we certainly everybody in the nation knows how good Cincinnati is, and obviously Loyola's beat two good teams as well. So, you know, two teams that have the good toughness and and are able to impose their will and their style on teams, and and uh, that's going to be a key, I think, come Thursday night. You know, one of the things, Eric, about scheduling, there's no question in my mind, the way you scheduled helped get you into this tournament. And a lot of these coaches have picked up on that overall from what the selection committee wants, and some haven't. Uh, when you put this thing together, where you played Texas Tech, where you played TCU in L.A., where you played Rhode Island at home, what were you anticipating? <laughs> you know, it, it, we did exactly what the committee told the, you know, the, the public on what they wanted, which was road games, scheduling tough games, you know, not being heavy on buy games at home. And that was like, it sounded awesome in, in August. But then when, when we hit November and training camp was kind of over and we were getting ready for non-conference play and I started looking at all the road games, we had to start managing, like, how are we going to keep our guys fresh and not too tired? Because we even played a game in Hawaii, just a one game go over. Uh, we knew it was an exempt game. It would give us an extra game on the schedule and it'd be an extra road game as well. Um, so it was kind of high risk, high reward, but 
I kind of had heard other, you know, coaches in our coaches meeting talk about the year that Colorado State didn't get in. I think they had 27 wins the year before I got into the conference. And so we didn't want to put ourselves in that position. We wanted to say at the end of the year, hey, our schedule didn't keep us from getting in the tournament. Our one loss record kept us from getting in or out. And we wanted it in our hands instead of the committee's hands. And that's why we went to Lubbock. And that's why we played TCU at Staples. And that's why we had all these road games that against programs that go, you know, it's hard to go to UC Irvine and win. And Santa Clara can be tricky in their place. And Pacific had a really good home record. And so uh, we went and played those games. And again, because they told us road games were going to be heavily valued. Uh, Eric, before I let you go, uh, what are you, 52, 53 now? 53, Andy. All right, you look great. Now, I run, uh, but I, I don't look like you, you know, because we've <laughs> all seen, um, you know, you don't mind uh, going shirtless here. What's your regimen? I go uh, one hour uh, every day cardio, one hour lifting, and the motivation to be truthful, Andy, is I got a really beautiful wife, and she's younger than me. And if I don't stay in shape, I'm worried about her trading me in for something. So I got to stay in as good a shape as I possibly can. And uh, I got to go home to something that's the best thing that's ever had my wife. And and so that motivates me every day to work out. Now the uh, post-game celebrations, our team actually has gets a kick out of it. And I knew I was tipped off that they were ready to douse me in water. So that's why I got my dress shirt off as quick as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well... Will be if you advance to the lead eight. I think there'll be more of it. That's for sure. And if you can win two more, I know there will be. No, I, we hope we hope we can just play really well on Thursday night and make it entertaining because we we know there's a really big spotlight on not only our game but 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 all the teams that are left now and and uh, what a, what an awesome tournament this is and we're feeling good about everything and we got to regroup and get ready for a great Loyola team. Well, I appreciate it, Eric. I will see you later this week in Atlanta. That sounds great, Andy. Great catching up. Thanks for having me on. Up next here on March Madness 365, Kansas State head coach Bruce Weber. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Kansas State head coach Bruce Weber. And the Wildcats are into the Sweet 16. They'll take on Kentucky Thursday night in Atlanta in the South region. Uh, There is no way when the season started... Maybe inside your locker room. I, I, I find it hard to believe that you guys thought this is a Sweet 16 team. Maybe you did, even without Dean Wade. But you tell me, what, what, what were you thinking when this team was put together in the preseason? Well, we really believed we had a chance to be pretty good. I, you know, we, we don't have the, the so-called superstars, the top 25, top 50. We, we don't even have a top 100 kid. But, but we do have experience. We have guys that are, have great character. We have great leadership. And they've worked very, very hard. One of the best things that happened to us was getting in the tournament last year, getting to Dayton, the first, whatever it is, first four, last four, whatever they call it, and and getting that experience. It was great for our seniors, DJ Johnson and Wesley, who won, uh, Wandu, who now is with the Magic, but it was really good for our younger guys because they got a taste of it. And, you know, that you know what it is. It's a special thing to be in the NCAA tournament and to win a game and then get – go across country to Sacramento and play Cincinnati and just experience that when we got, you know, we came back two weeks later, we started workouts, Barry Brown said, I'm the leader, you know, we're going to, we're going to bust butt. And, and they, I mean, they have worked so hard. Uh, they've all improved. 
you know, and then, you know, we had some new guys come in and obviously help us. So that, that, that was a benefit, but everybody, we, we were picked ace in the big 12. We, you know, we knew we weren't going to be ace. Um, I didn't know we were going to be fourth, but we didn't think we'd be ace. And we thought we'd be an MCA team. And, and I, I kept telling them, you know, you, you win one game last year. Now, you know, do can we make the improvement to win two games in advance? And, and they did it. Well, first of all, as you know, winning in the NCAA tournament is really hard. And it it's never been more underscored than what we saw, the carnage that went through this past weekend. Within your bracket, UMBC upsetting Virginia, the upsets, the comeback, you know, by Nevada over Cincinnati, Florida State over Xavier, Michigan State losing to Syracuse, you know, Carolina getting blitzed by A&M. You've been through this quite a bit. How difficult is it, especially when you're the favorite, to win even that first game? Well, the other team, the underdog, plays loose and free, and they, they just come at you. And they they give it all, even last night. For us, UMBC was, you know, they were playing at a high level. Those dudes guard, they're quick. They disrupt you. It reminds me a lot of my SIU teams that, you know, we could pressure people and get after people that they're not used to. And and it was hard. It was really hard to use it with Virginia. It was hard for us last night. We thought we had better quickness than Virginia. You know, we didn't, you know, the, obviously Virginia dominated the ACC and they're a good team. But, you know, and, you know, the other part is matchups. So much matchups. If, if Michigan State doesn't play Syracuse, they're probably still playing. And you know they had, but that was a tough game for them. And then then you got to play against the zone, and then you don't shoot it well, and you go home. And it's so hard, um, you know, as you said, to just to win a game. And, and and people don't understand it, and they don't appreciate it until you go through it. Yeah, Mark Few told me I was out in Boise before I went to Detroit, and. I'll see you in Atlanta later this week, but you know he was telling me that, uh, and, and his AD was saying the same thing that the most stressful they've ever been has been when they've been a one seed, that first game or that second game when all the expectation is on you to get to that second weekend. After that, you know this weekend coming up, it's kind of all zero and zero, if you will. There's a lot of good teams. Uh, you kind of throw the seeds out, obviously, but those first two games, and you've been in this experience, you know, in '05 when you were at Illinois. Uh, what do you remember back about when you are that favorite, that team expected to get to that second weekend? Well, there is a lot of pressure. There's no doubt. Everyone expected you to go to the Final Four, you know, and we we were number one in the country basically from December. I think December 3rd when we beat uh, Wake, uh, beat Wake Forest uh, when they were number one, you know, the rest of the year. So it, it there's a lot of pressure there, and, and we played uh, fairly Dickinson, and they – I mean, we had to play. It was, you know, we ended up winning double digits or close to twenty, but we had a game, and then we had to play Mark Fox's Nevada team, and they were good. And you know, it 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 is it is not easy. And and even with you look at Carolina, we were there yesterday. That was a home game. There were, there was you know fifteen seventeen thousand people cheering for Carolina, and it didn't have any effect. <laughs> Texas and and M dismantled them. So when you go into this tournament, obviously you're prepping for Creighton, which was, you know, would have expected to be like an 8-9 game, a close game, and you guys, you know, ended up winning by 10, 69-59, but no one would blame you if you're expecting to face the number one team in the country, the number one overall seed. So how much thought did you guys even give to UMBC prior, because that was the last game of the night, prior to that in terms of your preparation? 
Well, we did, you know, we always assign a coach to scout. We rotate all the three coaches, and each one has one. And Coach Lowry, I just said, you take UMBC, but help with Creighton. And, you know, you can you can watch a little bit of both. And I think he watched a game or so. So when, you know, we got to halftime and it was tied, and then all of a sudden it's a 10-point game, then you get to the 10-minute mark, he said, They're, they can't come back. Virginia can't come back. And, and so we, you know, we had a little preparation. I wouldn't tell you we had a lot, but we had a little. And then from midnight till 6 a.m., we had to bust our butt as a staff and, and get ready. And when the players woke up for breakfast, we had cook tapes ready. We, you know, we went to practice in the afternoon. We did our our, our defensive, uh, you know, kind of their sets, how we're going to guard. And then at night we had a risk report ready. But, it, you know, it, it took a lot of time of our coaches, and they did a great job preparing our guys. Now, superstitious, uh, I'm sure I saw your, your – Social media account tweeted out, you guys did bring both colors, right? White and purple? Yeah, we did. And I, I kind of I joke with our, our managers and equipment guy that I said, that's pretty good that you brought that. But they said it's actually an NCA rule. You have to have, you're required to have both sets uh, with you. So that, that thing just went by the manual and made sure they had it. And obviously it, it, and it, was, it was the right call that they brought them. You know, Bruce, you, you know, I think uh, the world of you and you, you're of such great character and, you know, with everything that's gone on this year, I mean, you, you are someone that, among many, that certainly people should look to in terms of how to, you know, how things are done the right way. And, you know, w- when you landed at K-State after a great run at Illinois, and maybe there was time on, you know, when you look back, maybe it was time to move on to a different spot and no, nothing ever ends the way you want it to end usually. When you look back now, now that you're having success at K-State, do you look at like, you know what, maybe this was the right time to move on and, and, and create another challenge for me and, and my staff and, and, you know, at this point in my life. And, and now, look, it's it's working out. Yeah, you know, things happen in life. And I'm even, you know, even in your situation, we've talked about this, you know, you, you, at the time, it seems like it's it's, it's a crisis and, and then things happen, you know, for the best. And, uh, you know, it. I, I love my time at Southern Illinois, at Purdue as an assistant at Southern Illinois, at Illinois. And I don't know, Andy, if you can stay at a place, you know, more than seven, eight years now. It's the Mark Hughes, Tom Izzo's, Coach Kays, Roy's, um, Bill Seth. They're just, that's a rare group. And 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 you, you got, and even those guys, look what Tom Izzo's going through this year. That's, I, I don't wish that upon anybody. And, you know, it, it, in this day and age with social media and the fans with, you know, with faceless opinions, it's tough to stay at a place. And, you know, it, Kevin Stalling, Jamie Dixon, TCU, and, you know, Pittsburgh to TCU, Kevin and Vanderbilt. And, you know, so uh, it, it's bad because you, you like to stay at a place and keep it going. But at the same time, for young coaches, it might be the best best thing to keep, keep moving. And uh, the thing I don't like is, you know, to me, it's about relationships and, you know, the former players at, you know, at Illinois, you feel like you're not part of them anymore. And I'm still in contact, but it's, it's different. And that's why I got into it to, to have those lifetime relationships. And, and it's tough when you keep moving schools. And I, I think that's the bad part of the business now. You guys, Kansas and Texas Tech have all advanced out of the Big 12. Uh, how much do you think you could actually apply that 
because it's such a grind, it's the true home and home that once you guys were sort of free of that, and West Virginia, excuse me, four of the uh, of the ten are still alive here in the Sweet 16, uh, that you're almost a little bit free because there's such great scouting, especially in the back half of the schedule, that um, maybe the players feel a little unshackled of, of you know when they can get out in this tournament and, and not feel like they're over-scouted the way they would certainly be in the Big 12. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't think people appreciate that double round robin, the 10, the 10 teams, you know, the 18 games playing everybody you saw in some of the, the mega conferences where, you know, the top teams didn't even play each other just one time. And, you know, that grind is something else. And then you play them a third time. And, you know, we played Kansas three times. You play TCU three times. TCU twice in an eight-day period. And it, it's, you know, kind of NBA playoff style. It, it gets tough. And now you get an NCAA tournament. It's a little different. You can get – you might get a couple layups that you don't usually get because they didn't have the preparation or you bring something out that, that you use early in the season that you haven't used in a while. So it's it's definitely a, a different flavor. All right. Kentucky, uh, they're playing their best basketball at the right time. How do you beat them? Well, you know, we're, we we guard pretty well. And then, you know, I, I – I hope and pray Dean Wade can give us a little bit of time. Obviously, that you're talking 20 points, probably our second leading assist guy, second leading rebounder. And if we can get him back, it would definitely help because of their size. We were able to survive the last three games because we played teams that were small ball. And, and you know, with them, they got length. Um, you know, we'll guard them. Can we rebound? And then can we find ways to score? You know, we got we're going to have to – somebody's going to have to make some shots. You know, maybe some tough shots. We did against Creighton a little bit, and we'll compete. We we played them a few years ago in in the first round, eight nine game. That was when they should have never been in in, in eight. And uh, it, we battled them, but it was tough at the end. They just had too much talent, too much length, and we just couldn't get over the hump. But uh, you know, we'll we'll come and play. Uh, we're we're going to meet this afternoon at five. Start looking at them with the players and. Hopefully, get a good mental mindset. Uh, you know, but we got a quick practice tomorrow, and we got to jump on a plane again. We just got home this morning, so um, it, you know it, it'll be a tough grind. But I told the guys this is might be a once in a lifetime, you know, uh, adventure that you have, and you better make the most of it. Well, Bruce, I deeply appreciate it, and I look forward to seeing you in Atlanta. Very good, thank you, Andy. And coming up here on March Madness 365, Texas A&M head coach Billy Kennedy. And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Texas A&M head coach Billy Kennedy. The Aggies into the Sweet 16 after absolutely crushing North Carolina on Sunday in Charlotte in by far, maybe not the most surprising result, but certainly uh, I would argue maybe the most uh, astonishing uh, margin of a result. Um, Even maybe more so than UMBC Virginia because that just by itself was just an anomaly. Uh, Billy, how do you explain the way in which your team is playing so well right now uh, after what had been really an up-and-down SEC season. Yeah, it, it, it's hard to explain other than the fact that we've had some guys grow up in, in our preparation and practice and attention to detail and, and just uh, our guys made a commitment uh, when our backs were against the wall after we lost to Mississippi State towards the end of the year to make an effort to, to get better and do the things we needed to do to get in the tournament. And I think we're not satisfied with being 
just in the tournament, we're trying to win some games and make some noise. And fortunately, we did that yesterday. I mean, I know J.J. Caldwell is not on the team anymore, so we can't say this is exactly what you thought in October, November. But in terms of the way in which you're playing, is this what you had envisioned? Well, I, I knew we were capable of being dominant in, inside. Robert Williams is playing his best basketball of the year, of the year on both ends of the floor, and, and he just he's a dominant presence. And then when you throw Tyler Davis at his size, then we've got some length and we've got some talent and ability at positions that a lot of people don't have. And when we're playing, when those two guys are playing well. It opens up our perimeter, and that's what happened last night. I mean, we had everybody play well on the same night uh, at the right time of the year. You know, it also seemed in the Providence game, because Providence is a kind of, I mean, you know Ed, I mean, Ed Cooley, I mean, he sort of can play sort of a junkyard dog style. and But you guys took their best shot and weren't, you know, phased by the physicality that potentially could occur. You know, Carolina's maybe more of a finesse team. How much... Has your team proven to you that you can play if you need to be physical half court or if, if the game is up and down? Well, it's kind of, when, when again, the tough teams we played, whether it was West Virginia, Kentucky at home, the different styles of play has been something that we, we've been good at against the better teams. I don't know if, if when our guys know that we're playing at Carolina, or a West Virginia, or even Auburn on the road, it seems like it gets their attention. So the better the opponent, the better we played this year. And hopefully that can, can we can stay the course and, and keep doing that. But the Providence game, I have so much respect for Providence. I thought that was really going to be a tough matchup, and it was. It was a real physical game. But for us to be able to out-physical them was, was saying something. You know, this this shows just how much it's a marathon and how long the season is. I mean, I'm curious, Billy, how often during this season did you get frustrated and, and, and wonder, you know, c- could this be possible based on some of the suspensions and injuries you were dealing with? Yeah, no, you, you hit it in, on the head. It's a marathon. It's a long year. I mean, it seems like forever that we went to Germany when we played our first game of the year back in November. It's just being able to stay the course and and the resiliency of this team has, has been as good as any as I coached, and it's been harder than any of our any time I've coached. We we haven't had the injuries, the suspensions, and the issues, and just trying to figure out what's what's best for our team. It's been the most challenging year, and I'm just thankful that we, we've been able to to weather the storm, so to speak, and be in this position we're in today. You always had the bigs. You knew that was the staple. I remember when we talked last year about your team, it was, you know, what kind of guard play were you going to get? And then you have, you know, the ultimate dismissal of someone like Caldwell. I mean, the guard play you've had to have this season, what did you need to get that now maybe you're finally getting on a little bit more of a consistent basis here when it matters most? Well, usually when plan A doesn't work, you go to plan B, but we're we're, we're at plan C. And, I mean, we brought in Dwayne Wilson to – to be a security blanket for us because we knew we were going to have two freshman guards in T.J. Starks and J.J. Caldwell who were talented, and we wanted to bring in some experience, and Dwayne provided that for us early in the year and even towards the middle of the year when he was playing on basically one leg. Um, and that that was big for us. But T.J. Starks has been a, 
unbelievable for, for being a freshman in his first game. He starts at Kansas and um, what he's been able to do for us and how he's progressed as a player and as a person has really been one of the main reasons why we've been so successful. And getting Admon Gilda healthy, again, has been a big part of it. So Michigan, uh, for the most part, is defending as well as John Beeline has had a team defend at Michigan. Offensively, when they're clicking, like we saw during the Big Ten tournament, you know, they've got, they're very versatile. They can bring Duncan Robinson and Poole off the bench. Uh, Wagner's a tough matchup. But they struggled against Houston at times. Houston obviously defended them very well. And then they had the unbelievably epic game-winning shot to advance to play you guys. But now Beeline's got, you know, some days to try to figure out how to deal with your bigs. Uh, how about on the flip side? Uh, you've got some time to figure out Michigan. What are you thinking? Yeah, he's got one more day than me. I already, I'm already uh, envious of the, of the day because they do so many good things offensively and they own a tough matchup with Wagner and, and Robinson at the four and the five in, in pool that, uh, you know, to, to advance in this tournament, you got to beat good teams and to, and that I'm really impressed with them defensively. Um, after watching a lot of film today, you always know how good they are offensively and how well they shoot the three point shot, but they're, they're driving the ball. They're doing some other things offensively and really impressed with their defense and how, what coach has done with, with them defensively. Billy, I mean, I, I know I think I'm not alone when I say this. I know I'm not alone that, uh, you know, I'm thrilled to see you have success. Everything that you've personally been through. How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling about as good as I felt all year, to be honest with you. So, uh, winning, winning cures a lot, and, and just to see our players grow as people, and, and to to get better and to grow up and mature some has been worth some of the challenges we've had this season. But it also seems like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, just from an outsider's viewpoint, I mean, has has your condition stabilized? Because you you seem like the same that you've been for now a couple of years. Yeah, no, I I'm. I've gotten better every year. With, with and, and I meant that in a positive way, you know, that nothing had regressed. Yeah, yeah. no, I, my health is better than it's ever been. I'm, I'm just so thankful that I've been fortunate that uh, the, the doctors I've seen and the, the treatments I've gotten and, and uh, my just nutrition and overall health has been better than a lot of people who have had Parkinson's disease and uh I've been fortunate that some of the symptoms aren't as severe as some other people. So I'm doing good. I'm doing as good as I I'm very thankful that I'm doing very well right now. Well, you're a great role model for, you know, thousands of people that obviously have to deal with this as well. But uh, before I let you go, Billy, uh, former President George Bush, uh, 41, uh, he went with the favorite. You know, he's obviously very familiar with College Station and A&M. <laughs> yeah. uh, and he had a friendly sort of back and forth with uh, President Obama. Um, you know, I, I know that he's been around your program before, but um, uh, I'm just curious just how much you've ever had any interaction with him as he he picked the Aggies. Yeah, no, I, I've had a chance to meet him and Miss, Miss Alex, call him President Bush's wife, Miss Barbara. I don't know if that's the right. Mrs. Former First Bush. Lady. Former, former first lady, thank you for getting that right for me. But I'm actually sitting in next to his parking lot right now, <laughs> and he he has an apartment here on campus. And I had a, a chance, me and my wife, to meet him at his apartment one day, one evening, and it was one of the great memories that I'll have the rest of my life. How humble and how generous they were with their time and and interest. But he 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 loves A and M, and he's been big. 
here. Obviously, we got the, the Bush Library here right around the corner from our office, and so I see it every day. And I'm, I'm thankful, and I hope he's right. I can promise you that much. Well, Billy, as always, appreciate your time, and uh, good luck out in L.A. All right. Thanks a lot, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. First off, I want to say a huge thank you to all our listeners. We had record-breaking numbers from our podcast last Sunday night into Monday for Selection Sunday, into Selection Monday, if you will. Uh, really appreciate everyone downloading the podcast, listening it to, to it on iTunes and all our social media platforms on NCAA.com. We are doing this, as it says in the title, 365, well, 52 weeks a year, but all year round covering the sport of college basketball for NCAA.com and Turner Sports. So we've got the Sweet 16 this week. Next week, when we join you, we'll be looking ahead to the Final Four. I'm Andy Katz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.